the beauty of having 86 different chapters or communities is that you've got people looking out for you back all across the country to, to, to be there when issues arise that may not affect you today, but they sure as heck will over time. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Fazell from Dallas, Texas, and you're listening to You're a Financial Planner, Now What? The podcast that help you fast track your career by bringing you meaningful conversations on topics that influence new financial planners, their careers, and the lives of their clients. Today I'm talking with Evelyn Zolin, our current FBA president, and Martin C., our FBA president-elect, who will be taking over in 2020. In this conversation, Martin and Evelyn team up to share their insights into our profession and hot-button issues. Up next, we'll dive into the difference between financial planning as a profession and as an industry, how FP is advocating for all of us as professionals, and where the future of financial planning is headed. When you think about the work of financial planners, do you think of words like passion, purpose, and impact? If not, then something just isn't right. I'm Kate Healy, Managing Director of Generation Next at TD Ameritrade, and we believe that empowering people to live their best lives is a noble calling. The independent RAAs who work with us use their passion to help transform client lives, communities, and their own futures. Want to learn more about how we can support you in helping your clients reach their financial goals? Find out more at tdainstitutional.com. Today on the podcast, we are talking about the future of the profession. And so to, to have this conversation, I have with us Evelyn Zillin, who is a current FPA president, and then Martin C., who is the upcoming, he's a president-elect this year. He'll be the president of FPA in 2020. So thinking of the future of the profession, I couldn't think of a better place to go to than FPA. So thank you both for joining us today. Glad to be here. Thank you for having us. The word profession versus industry, I hear those kind of thrown around interchangeably. And so I'm curious, what's the difference? Are we a financial planning industry, a profession? Like, what does that mean? Well, I think that we are on the road to becoming a profession. The the challenge with um, saying we are a profession or are we not is that we actually um, only have so much control. We as practitioners of financial planning only have so much control over whether or not we are a profession. And I'm putting that in air quotes because at the end of the day, it's what the public perceives of us that um, is the, the final measure of have we arrived as a profession. And so I, I think that we are doing many, many of the right things to move us toward that, but I don't know that we are um, there yet. And I'd be one of those things that we are doing that is moving financial planning toward becoming a profession is um, growing the academic community, supporting education and research in financial planning. And, and so, Martin, I'd be kind of curious, what's your, as an academic, um, on the leading edge of that, what do you think, industry versus profession? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I always think of one of my favorite Dave Yeski-isms, where he says, uh, financial advice is pretty cool, but financial planning is magical. And I think about the financial services industry, I think about the advice industry, and I think about the future of the financial planning profession uh, being about planning and providing that holistic advice uh, to to clients. And that's separating ourselves a little bit, at least in terms of the scope of services that we're providing. But to be a profession, you need a couple of different, a uh, couple of different things. And one of the things Evelyn was was sharing about is, you need an academic um, underpinning. You need students that are coming through, getting trained, getting educated. You need degrees in financial planning, where it's an aspirational field. And you know, you go to your mom and you say, "Hey, I want to be a financial planner," and they say, "Wow, that's pretty cool. Um, you're going to do good things for for a lot of a lot of people." So you're seeing the growth of uh, programs, but then also you need. 
um, evidence-based practices that are based off of research. Uh, and that's the other component that's coming on pretty heavily right now to help provide that, um, that foundation for that profession to exist uh, on top of. But Evelyn, the other thing that is part of the profession is is having individuals recognized and consumers recognize financial planners. There's a lot of public outreach and that that takes so many different forms. Um, probably one of the greatest and ones that I get most excited about is pro bono activity and improving financial literacy. I know that there are literally thousands and thousands of FPA members and, um, and broader members, not just those who belong to FPA, but are practicing financial planning who care passionately about our profession and believe that financial planning changes lives. And part of the way that they become um, little personal advocates, if you will, for financial planning in the broader community is through doing pro bono financial planning activities, whether that's um, financial planning day and sitting with folks who come in um, on on a one-on-one basis or lecturing about changes in tax laws to something I love to do is I work with my local Girl Scout troop and helping them getting their um, personal finance badge. And so these are all ways that we are able to introduce what a real financial planner, a true financial planner does and um, to the, uh, the broader community and help raise awareness uh, that not only can it help you personally, but for those Girl Scouts, you can bet I'm banging the drum that this is an amazing profession for women and um, don't you want to come help? So one of the topics that I hear often is the topic of fiduciary and it is a huge conversation and, and has been and rightfully so. So I'm curious, FPA's vision statement is to elevate the profession that transforms lives through the power of financial planning. How does fiduciary fit in there? Like is fiduciary the end goal that we're, we're targeting? The, the short answer is um, that, that yes, yes and the Financial Planning Association believes that financial planning should be provided under a fiduciary standard, period, mic drop. That's, um, you know, that's, it's very, that's a, and that is a very high level aspirational um, vision of what the um, environment would be that a consumer knows in the future, in my utopian picture-perfect world in the future, a consumer would know that whenever they're working with a financial planner, that financial planner is always serving them as a fiduciary. There's never a doubt in their mind at, at one point or another, are they a fiduciary now or is it different with them right now? And so um, the aspiration is that financial planning would always be delivered under a fiduciary standard of care. And I have to give some props to the CFP board because with their new standards, um, if a financial planning practitioner is a certified financial planner, then they are uh, required to provide financial planning, financial advice under a fiduciary standard of care. But that's that, I'll call it narrow group of financial planners. There's a lot of other, it's a much broader world uh, uh, in the financial planning space, and there's um, there's a little bit of a patchwork of regulations and legislation that we all have to operate under, and that that makes it murky. That makes it difficult for consumers to know um, who do I have here and how are they going to care for me. I would I would agree, but but I also think we have to get to fiduciary. Uh, fiduciary is is a really important standard of care that makes our clients understand that we're on the same side of the table as them. We are 
keeping our eyes on on what the best uh, advice, best recommendations, best actions are for them, regardless of how that might tie to uh, the, the way we operate, the way we're compensated, the way we're paid. But I also think that we also need to think beyond that. So fiduciary does require some level of competency to, to do that. That is to act as a fiduciary, you have to you have to know your stuff. You have to know what's available. But to be a profession, I think we have to build a competency standards beyond that. To, so it's clear to be a professional within this space. Um, this is how you're going to operate. These are uh, the, the body of knowledge uh, that you need to uh, know to operate within. And also similar goals in terms of what we're trying to accomplish uh, with with our clients. And so a fiduciary is critically important along the way. And also, I think we need to create a broader competency standard uh, for our professionals moving forward. And like Evelyn said, the CFP board does that currently with the 76 learning objectives um, that are required for you to uh, study and pass the CFP exam. And I also think if we go out 15 years from now, there's going to be a lot more 76 learning objectives and there's going to be a lot more information that's required to really act like a CFP professional. You know, Martin, I think that's an excellent point. And I, as you were sharing that, I, I was thinking it, it should almost become table stakes, almost like getting your CFP designation, becoming a CFP designee. Um, I, I, my perspective has always been that it's a, it's critical, but it's the starting point. You know, to be to be a true financial planner, you're on, you also must be a lifelong learner. And so, the fiduciary standard. While um, you know, Hannah, you asked, is it aspirational? Yes. Is it an endpoint? Um, well, until we get it, it's an endpoint. But I, I look forward to the day that. Um, the fiduciary standard of care when delivering financial planning services is not a question. It's just a given. And we've moved past it because it was, it's like, well, of course. And then we move on because there are other um, even more important things that we should be focusing on as a profession and, and when we are serving our clients. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And so I'm, I'm curious, you know, FPA is the professional association for us, you know, as, as CFPs and, you know, advocacy, is a huge, a huge issue. And so I'm curious, can you tell me more of like, what is FPA doing on the advocacy front um, at, the, at the federal or at the state level um, to really help kind of push or to elevate our profession? Advocacy is, is really a major focus of, of the FPA. It's really making sure uh, that our members' um, interests and in the future of the profession are being represented wherever issues might arise uh, that will impact impact our members as well as the future of the profession. So that's at the state level. Uh, we, ho we host more than 25 state advocacy days each year where we go into state houses and share a little bit about what the Financial Planning Association and share a little bit about the importance of financial planning and educate uh, these, um, these representatives that oftentimes thinks, think we're going to come in and give them a hot stock tip. They don't really understand the diversity uh, and the breadth that goes into financial planning. So it's at the state houses, it's at the state uh, regulatory bodies. Um, for example, right now, um, there are a number of states that are looking at um, different compensation methods and whether they should be allowed specifically dealing with uh, retainer models uh, for, uh, for financial advice. 
Uh, they, they understand the AUM model when you're tying the, uh, the payment to the asset under management, uh, but some regulators are struggling to understand where the value is if it's just an hourly, an hourly fee. And so we're there to help them understand that a lot of financial planning advice has nothing to do with how you're allocating your investment portfolio, and there's more holistic advice going on underneath that. And then it's at <clears throat> it's it's nationally. It's being involved throughout the process with the SEC as they develop Reg BI and move that through uh, the, the process. Um, that is at the DOL um, first in the original DOL rule, which is now vacated, but now we are curiously awaiting uh, the new DOL rules to be to be shared uh, so that we can be there, uh, be involved for our members and, and move them forward. And then of course, we're also in the halls of Congress, meeting with congressmen, meeting with senators, helping to educate them about the issues and help shape a broader understanding of what the financial planning profession can and should look like. What's well, both an opportunity and a challenge for FPA and for our members around advocacy is that it's not a one and done um, situation that it's a it's an ever-present must be there must be monitoring um opportunity and and even when it, it appears that nothing is going on um we still need to be there and be present and because if you are out of sight you're out of mind i'm thinking of this specifically in the context of um here in california uh, where our um, local chapters go to sacramento every year in march and then every year in October, we meet with our local assemblymen and senators in their home district offices. And not that we have much new to say normally after just having seen them six months earlier, but rather we want to be visible and present and a reminder to them that financial planning changes lives for everybody in their community. And we want to be a ready resource um, not only on legislative or regulatory issues that might come up at the state level or at the federal level, but also um, to to be a resource for them in the in their own communities or when they're considering other issues. Uh, I'll give you uh, a for example that um, here in California, about eighteen months ago, um, FPA of California was contacted by the state treasurer's office because they were putting together a task force to talk about creating a state um, sponsor, state offered 401k plan that could be adopted by small business owners that um, didn't have the resources to put together their own 401k plan. And they contacted us specifically because we had been to visit them several times to say, hey, we would really love a member uh, from the Financial Planning Association of California to sit on this task force and um, help represent that community um, in creating this 401k plan for small business owners. That opportunity never would have been available if our members hadn't been regularly going to Sacramento and regularly visiting in our um, elected officials' home offices. And it's a great example of how we can make a difference in so many different facets of our um, communities, our states, and our members' lives. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, you guys have talked a lot about like what this, you know, about the different things that FPA does. And what does that look like? Like, are you guys actually going to Capitol Hill? I mean, like with the Reg BI, like, like, are you guys in those conversations? Yeah, absolutely. We are. The, um, <laughs> and so many different 
forms. So, for example, Hannah, when um, when the SEC first um, released its draft regulations regarding Reg BI and the other regulatory changes that came along with it, the Financial Planning Association, along with our coalition partners, um, actually prepared a, a very lengthy comment letter um, that was that we sent to the SEC to tell them that. Um, it's a good step, but it needs more. We, we were very clear with them that we did not think that the proposed regulations um, went far enough in um, creating a fiduciary standard of care in the, under the de- when delivering personalized financial advice. But sending the letter um, is a, a very, very important step, but it's, it's not enough. You know, there needs to be a lot more action going along with that and to include um, visiting the SEC back in June, we actually met with um, um, senior staff from the SEC specifically to talk about this. It's um, connecting with them in maybe less direct but no less impactful methods. For example, um, for our um, our um, advocacy summit that we had in conjunction with FPA's Advocacy Day when we were in Washington, D.C. last year, um, Commissioner um, Hester Peirce came in, actually spoke. I got to interview her as part of our um, advocacy summit. And this is an opportunity for us to build relationships with them so that when those moment come, moments come that we have ideas or feedback to share with them, we have a more receptive audience. That's happening at the federal level. It's also happening at the state level. It's um, providing comment letters. I have another great example, and then I'll Um, ask Martin to tell me what I've forgotten, but another great example is the state of New York contacted FPA um, a couple of months back because the state was interested in crafting legislation specifically around creating a fiduciary standard of care when delivering personalized investment advice. And they asked FPA if we would help them craft that legislation. But again, that invitation doesn't occur without many years of relationship building through visits on the Hill, through visits in home offices, visits at events where the um, elected officials are participating and and letter writing campaigns. I, I know I've written many letters to my assemblyman and senator and all of those touch points create an opportunity for us to engage and and have an impact. What do you think, Martin? Did I miss anything there? I think you nailed it. I think the other thing that I often like to talk about related to activity is we are a member of the uh, Professional Certification Coalition. And what drove that was uh, legislation in a couple different states that would have barred individuals from using uh, professional certifications that weren't uh, endorsed by the state, aka it would have been illegal for you to use your CFP marks in those states. And we were able to engage very quickly on that and be in the room and and meet with folks that had drafted that legislation to get that uh, fixed. Um, So it's really important at FPA sometimes as we get in our specific chapter and we're we're looking around the landscape, sometimes it's a little bit hard to see that bigger picture. But uh, the beauty of having 86 different chapters or communities is that you've got people looking out for you back all across the country to, to, to be there when issues arise that may not affect you today, but they sure as heck will over time. I think advocacy is such an important element. And one of, I mean, for me, it's a huge reason why I'm part of FPA. But I'm curious, we're talking about the future of the profession. And so with that, I'm curious what your guys' thoughts are and where you've seen the profession advance so far and where do you see 
Like, where do you see the next big step that we're going to take as a profession? Well, I think some important steps we've taken so far here. I'm going to take the easy. What's what's happened so far? And then I'll make Martin dust off his crystal ball and decide where we're going in the future. But I, I'll teasing aside, I think that there have been a lot of really positive developments um, for financial planning as a profession. Um, I, this year has been a particularly um, poignant one to reflect on that sort of thing because we are celebrating the 50th anniversary of the financial planning profession. And these kinds of milestones are a great opportunity to pause and say, so how far have we come? And we've come a long way, baby, to, um, you know, one of the the many multiple paths to competency, that, that question or debate on how do we become a competent planner, you know, that's been pretty well settled. The financial planning profession has pretty well coalesced around the standard of competence and ethics under the CFP marks. And whether you consider the marks the starting point or the ending point, and you know where I am on that, I think that's a starting point and you go from there, it's at least a common point. And, um, and I think that that is a very, very important milepost along the journey of becoming a profession is, is that I think also the um, standards that we've discussed, you know, we just finished our, our conversation around advocacy and having standards of competence and ethics are critical in the um, evolution and growth of, of a profession. And I think that those on the code of ethics and standards of conduct under the CFP marks are, um, are are an important step, uh, particularly the most recent iteration of those requiring a fiduciary standard of care when you're giving any kind of financial advice. Um, we already touched on the growing academic community, and um, I think that I, I think that another that is a little less tangible but no less important is the. Um, that's sort of the rise of financial life planning. You know, when those gentlemen all got together in Chicago back in December of 1969, they were um, creating a profession around very technical things about the, the integration between investments and tax and estate and insurance. And while that is still a very important component of um, financial planning, financial life planning, it, you know, is is actually, I'll call it financial planning 2.0. It's it's really where we all want to be with our clients and gets to the hearts and minds rather than just the financial statements or even our own expectations and um, suppositions around what we think our clients are wanting or needing. So I think that these are all really important and valuable, um, like I said, mileposts along this journey that have brought us to this moment as a financial planning profession However, um, we're not done. There's a lot ahead of us still. And I'll, um, Martin, why don't you take a swing at that? I've got a couple of ideas, but why don't you take a swing at where we've, where we've still got ahead of us? Let me round out a little bit of, of, of where we've come and then let's talk about the future. Um, okay. I think it's also at the risk of being self-aggrandizing. I, th I think it's important that next year I will be the first next-gen age, next-gen individual, the service president of FPA, I will be the first that has received a four-year degree in personal financial planning. Yeah. That's a big change. That's a big journey from where we started um, 50 years ago to actually have these degree programs. Speaking of those, there's roughly 104 universities that have undergraduate programs in personal financial planning that are registered with the CFP board. 
and there's a beautiful diversity among those. Uh, there are programs in the College of Business. There are programs in the College of Ag. There are programs in colleges of health and human sciences. And all of these individuals are bringing their unique strengths to the table, whether it be um, in technical expertise, whether it be in uh, the ability to communicate, understanding family dynamics. Um, this diversity brings breadth to the profession as it's growing. There's roughly 85,000 CFPs. Let's not forget about that. That's quite uh, quite an improvement in the new standards that will be um, that that have come forward uh, that will help to raise the professionalism underneath that. And then also, there are now over 100 PhDs in personal financial planning. That's pretty cool. Over 100 folks that are out there at different universities that have gone through the CFP coursework, gone through the CFP training and are taking that to the next generation of, of financial planners. And you see it paying off in the industry. So at, at Kansas State University, we have a lot of firms that will only talk to us because we are, are graduating CFP students. That's both small firms and it's some of the larger firms in the country that have recognized the value of CFPs and, and that, that well-rounded education in financial planning and want to get access to those individuals above anybody, above anybody else. Looking to the future, it's amazing to think we're only 50 years in from 12 people meeting in a hotel room um, at, at an airport to where we are today. Uh, it's an amazing journey, but just imagine what will be 50 years from now. We can't imagine that landscape. Evelyn was speaking about uh, fiduciary being the goal. I have to imagine in 50 years, probably even 25, I think less than that, fiduciary will be table stakes. I, I think that we'll have moved past that and we'll be pushing uh, to professionalism and excellence uh, for the financial planning profession. And that's just gonna be something that's there. You know, the other thing as we go towards the future, right now roughly about 23% of CFPs are female and uh, related to diverse populations. Evelyn, you have to correct me, but I think it's two to 6% um, that are of, of diverse. And that's just simply um, not not good enough. It's not reflective of the people that we are serving. I'll tell you, at programs around the country, it's far more even in terms of, of of the people that are in these classes getting out in the industry. So now we've got to figure out how to support them and move them through so that we can serve clients wherever they might be, uh, whatever their preferences uh, might be. Because there are just some things that somebody like you can understand a little bit better um, than than somebody that's uh, than somebody that's not. So, Evelyn, those speak to me at, at the top, at the top level. What else do you have? Yeah, the, um, there just one or two other things as I think about the the, the road ahead and work still to be done. Um, Martin uh, touched on. Uh, such progress around academic programs and um, that that growth of the academic foundation of the profession, but. You know, part of one challenge we have is we're we've got the programs, but we're still it's still not many um, who are very few students graduating from financial planning degree programs compared to the marketplace, compared to the demand uh, for them. And and interestingly, many of those who do graduate are being recruited by financial services firms who aren't actually doing any financial planning. And and so. Um, it's gonna, the vast majority of CFP professionals continue coming through certification programs. And I, I just don't know that we can build a culture and professional identity on such a narrow foundation. And so I, um, I as I look ahead, I am um, I'm 
anxious and anticipating seeing a much more robust group of graduates coming out of these programs that are actually entering firms that are doing financial planning. The one thing I would add to that, Evelyn, is uh, we are seeing a lot more of those larger firms that are actually doing financial planning now that that have seen the value and the benefit of that. And that, to me, is uh, a real mark of success. Yeah, that's encouraging. That that firms that, um, and in fact, on campus this week, we had an individual that was from a very large um, life and disability insurance uh, company that historically... um, maybe didn't operate within the financial planning space, but uh, he shared his process uh, with us. And it was very clear, very clear that he was doing planning first. Um, and then from that, he was deciding what the, what the appropriate recommendations and products were for clients. And I think that's absolutely perfect. It's a representative of where we're headed that uh, folks all over are starting to see the value of, of doing that, uh, that financial planning. I guess one, one final um, thought I have as I think about us as practitioners and looking ahead is the, um, that so many of us came into the profession because we are, we are inspired and passionate about financial planning and the difference that financial planning can make in the lives of our clients. Um, not as many of us got into the business because we wanted to be an entrepreneur or a small business owner or that we were experts in marketing um, or on technology. And yet all of those things um, have a direct bearing on the success of our businesses and, and candidly, our ability to serve our clients well. And so I think that looking to the future, I, um, I look forward to us as um, professional financial planners also being um, better business owners and, and you know, start looking beyond the tactics of financial planning and thinking about longer horizons um, strategy for our firms and how we serve our clients. I think that um, the, the who we serve and what we're doing that's of value to them, um, we need to think harder about that so that we can maybe segment our clients and provide more specialized services. This goes back to CFP marks as a starting point as opposed to an end point because the CFP marks take us to a baseline um, level of competency to provide financial planning. And I think as we look ahead as a profession, we will need to refine um, those services and offerings to deal more specifically with the unique needs of different demographics of our clients because uh, technology is coming along. And I think that if we ignore the the difference that technology is going to make in our profession, it's at our own risk. And there was for a few years back, there was a lot of brouhaha about um, digital investment solutions, robo-advisors online. And is that going to be the death knell of financial planners? And I think that we've all moved past that crisis moment. I'm putting that in air quotes. Um, and because the human human relationship is still so critical in a financial planning relationship. However, that Technology could be a powerful force multiplier for when used by a human financial planner. And I think that artificial intelligence is also going to be a major disruptive force and not one that replaces the human financial planner, but definitely could augment uh, the human financial planner. So I think that there's a lot of um, uh, the opportunities slash challenges of um, technology ahead of us that we need to be um, looking at and determining how do we build that into a successful profession as well. 
So we've touched on, you guys had a, a lot that was in there. And um, we talked about, you know, the diversity and inclusion, how important that is. You know, one of the things that's been in the news recently is this, this Me Too movement has kind of hit financial planning. Um, and so I'm curious, like, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Or how can we as a profession address these issues in, in a better way? I think the first thing is one that has already happened in that the the first step is to across the entire membership, across the entire profession to say not acceptable and not tolerated ever again. And, and for um, anybody who feels like they're in that position of in, in an uncomfortable, unwelcomed situation that the, um, that it is okay for them to say so and that they will have a receptive audience to help them navigate through this and, and make it onto the other side and feel secure knowing that they will be heard and protected candidly. And so I, I think the first um, uh, step was to know, made it make it known that it's not acceptable and it will not be tolerated. I know for FPA, for the, um, for the um, past couple of years at um, all of our events. We have a very, very, um, z- we have a zero tolerance policy on this and have gone to great lengths to publicize that it's it's not acceptable. And if it's, if there is, if you are seeing anything or hearing anything, even if it's not you experiencing it, if you're a witness or hear about it, um, that here is how you can contact um, a dedicated team of people who will make sure that it's addressed immediately. And so raising awareness and then putting resources and tools in place to help address it when it's encountered. And then and, and then beyond that is just doing what we're doing right now, Hannah, is having a conversation about it and, and really, I'm going to say building it into the culture um, that uh, it's just, it, that it becomes a, almost, a, I don't want to say a non-issue, but it would be, um, so stunned, you know, that it, that we would be so stunned that somebody would even consider it, that it just becomes part of the culture, that it would never be accepted and um, that we are all respected and, and treated well. And, um, you know, Martin, I'm sure you've got some to add on that. But as a as a woman, I wanted to jump in on that first. I think you nailed it. Yeah. For me, obviously, being a being a, a white male, um, a lot of these issues I personally have just uh, am exempted from or, or avoided, at least related to myself personally. I, I will say, though, for, for all these industry conferences, I, I take 18, 19, 20-year-old um, females um, to these conferences. And it's incredibly important to me that they're entering safe spaces. Um, and we still have to have those conversations. And it would be a dream world where you don't have to have those conversations, where uh, they know going in, uh, that it's perfectly safe all around, and 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 usually they are safe. Uh, but as Evelyn says, uh, we'll know we've made it when we no longer have to uh, think about it at all. Right. And you know, Hannah, we were talking about this within the context of FPA, and um, well, perhaps not perfect, but pretty good. I I, I feel like we are um, we were quick to put a stake in the ground and to take action on, on it. Um, several years back um, as this was bubbling up um, in the broader media. But it's not just within FPA. I mean, we are part 
a small part of a much, much broader um, profession and an even broader financial services industry. And I think that um, we can, while we can't change what happens at other conferences or in other corners of the industry, we certainly can be a model for how it's done well and a bright light for what the the future could look like um, where it isn't a conversation that ever has to happen. Oh, we never talk about that at FPA because it never happens. Well, then people want that and want to be part of that. That's the kind of profession, the kind of community that they want to belong to. Nobody has to listen to this podcast. So just by listening to this podcast, I know that the people who are listening are definitely interested and passionate about financial planning and are and are really care about this profession and care about their career. And so I'm curious, what what would you say to the to the listeners right now? Yeah. So first, I would say thank you, thank you okay. for leaning in. Uh, we very much appreciate you. We appreciate your passion. We surveyed our students here trying to figure out why they were interested in financial planning. And 92% of them responded, it's because we want to help people. We want to transform lives. So thank you for leaning into this noble profession and pushing to make it uh, better. I'd say FPA is there uh, for you. Uh, we are there to, to help you along your career path uh, from your first day out of, out of school to studying for the CFP exam. And I'm sure... Um, acing it along the way. Um, but then also, it's a dang hard exam. So we're going to be there for you to be your support network. And we're going to be there for you to, to lean back in and take it again. And then we're going to be there for you when you go from being the pair planner to the one that is driving clients. Uh, we're going to have the safe space for you to have those conversations. We're going to be the place where you can get um, insight from people that have been there. And then Let's say you become a business owner. We're going to be that community for you that's going to have those folks to, who've been through that transition. We're going to be there with, uh, with the knowledge base that you need to succeed in that. And our goal is to be your partner and your support network throughout, throughout your career, while also worrying about the things uh, that you're worried about but don't have the time to. It's going to be uh, us that are looking at all 50 states and looking at the issues that, are, are, that might affect you related to regulation. And we'll be on the Hill in, in the halls of Congress and with regulators trying to help shape the profession uh, for the future, for the benefit of us all. That's my thoughts, Evelyn, what you got? Yeah, I, um, of course, as usual, you stole all my good stuff. I, I would say, welcome. Uh, so glad that you are here and welcome to the family because the, um, it is very much a, a community, a tribe, a family you know, you use your, your word of choice that describes this place where you come together with like-minded people who will inspire you and challenge you to be the best version of yourself. And um, that's, in my, that's been my experience since I joined PA back in, oh boy, October of 2002. Um, I, guess, I guess the other thing I would add is that um, glad you're here and um, now let's roll up our sleeves and because there's so much work to be done still. And um, part of that is what we were talking about just a moment ago, Hannah, as we look to the future of the profession, but then also as a leader within that, there's hundreds of thousands of people who call themselves financial advisors. And we in the Financial Planning Association are true leaders um, among that broad universe of, of the financial services industry. And being a leader um, means that you're raising your hand to, to 
take the lead on initiatives, to share ideas. It also means that when you're encountering things that you think should be better, should be different, or that you downright don't like, that um, you lean in a little more deeply at that point to make it better. You know, I've had a very, um, a very exciting and challenging year as president of the Financial Planning Association this year, as we've been um, taking on a big initiative for the association with the One FPA Network, and where I have been most impressed is when I've encountered members who disagreed with me and said, and I have an idea about how I think it could be better. I wanted to give them a hug and say, God love you. Let's do this. And and that's exactly what I've seen over and over again. And so for those listening to the podcast who care about the profession, who care about their clients and, um, and want to make a difference, that's, um, that will be Part B, by being part of your membership association where you'll find your home, but also serving your membership association because your opinions are valued and welcomed and you can make a huge difference here. So where would you suggest that somebody start? They hear all this, they're like, we, I want to be part of this. Where do they go? Well, the website is, the, <laughs> so actually, so certainly join, join FPA, but then, so you join and then what happens? I, I, I actually would recommend you plug into community immediately. And so if you're, a, if you're a new planner or you're not even a planner, you want to be a planner or learn more about being a planner, let's certainly plug in to our uh, next gen community. And of course, Hannah and Martin, you guys have lots to say about that. So I'll be brief on that. But the other part I would suggest is that you um, um, engage in your local chapter. Um, We have such a robust network of chapters full of passionate members and leaders who are um, excited about what we do and about welcoming people to the profession. And, um, and then um, you can call me or call Martin and we'll give you a tour of FPA because there's so much under the hood here that we would love to tell you about. But Martin, I just scratched the service. You want to talk about NextGen a little more? Yeah, I think I think really it is lean in, lean in. So yes, yeah, I know. But but lean in because like many things in life, you're going to get as much out of FPA as as, as you try to get out of FPA. We have, have great communities. Hannah, of course, facilitates FPA Activate. Uh, for us, which is a Facebook community that allows for conversations to occur. And the best thing about FPA Activate is you don't even have to participate to get good insights uh, from, from other folks that are, that are sharing um, their personal insights and experiences. So uh, that's one of the things I would recommend that you do. But also really get involved in your local chapter. Get involved with the folks that are around you. Find a study group. That's really what will separate your experience. My wife is a member. She's a practitioner. And she is planning, I think it's the, her fifth um, girls trip uh, with, uh, with her study group. They met at uh, Next Gen Gathering, uh, I guess, five or six years ago. And since then, uh, once a year, they, they take a weekend away from being moms and from being um, from the firms that they work at. And they spend time thinking about each other, their professional development, and how they can be a little bit better. So find folks that, that'll walk alongside with you because that's exactly why other folks are here too. Absolutely. So if you're looking for the FPA Activate group, go to Facebook. It is on Facebook. And we will also include more resources in the show notes. So thank you, Martin and Evelyn, for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Really nice chatting with you, Hannah. Thank you so much for having us. How is your work connecting you to your purpose, your community, and your values? I'm Kate Healy, Managing Director of Generation Next at TD Ameritrade. 
And we believe that independent registered investment advisors have the power to impact the world in profound ways. If you've never considered being an RAA, it's time to take a look. There's no better way to put your skills and knowledge to work for the greater good of your clients, your community, and your own future. Find out more at tdainstitutional.com. Love what you hear on this podcast? Join us in the FPA Activate Facebook community, where you'll find a community of other passionate planners like you. Not only that, but there are live How We Do What We Do sessions focused on what real financial planning looks like in practice. Be sure to join us there to lend your voice, become a better planner, and help grow the financial planning profession.